On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we travel into deep space to fight moon pirates, find Tommy Lee Jones, and discover the deep, 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 dark secrets of ourselves. That's right. We're going to space with Brad Pitt and Ad Astra. Get your popcorn ready. I do what I do because of my dad. He was a hero. This might come as a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. I worry about you. I love you. You know what you'll have to do. I'm ready. Ad Astra. Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Malhorn. David, how you doing today? You happy to be back? I'm happy to be back. It uh, feels, feels like we haven't done this for a long time, even it though does. we only missed one week. It does. For those of you who are unfamiliar with us in any way, shape, or form, we are currently in the midst of our busy season for our actual real-life work, and unfortunately, that means we had to miss an episode last week. So for that, I apologize, but I was not going to miss this episode. This, this episode, David, we're talking all about Ad Astra, and I don't know about you, but I was pumped for this movie when I read like the log line like two or three years ago it was basically Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones star in this movie about a man's journey through space to try and find his father and solve some mystery or whatever Mm -hmm. and I'm in I'm in immediately on that I don't know why but I love space movies I don't know that we've really talked about them very much because some of the big big space movies that have come out came out before we kind of started you know the podcast and whatnot um but one of which we did first uh, man i think we did first man's probably the closest one and that one's a little bit different in that it's not a Mm sci-fi you know um with this one definitely a sci-fi although certain certainly sci-fi realism um the idea is to show us a you know a life that you know i felt was pretty well represented as something that could very well exist yeah it, it doesn't take too many leaps and bounds from where we're at technology wise now with you know obviously some assumptions that we figure out how right. you could create how you could live in space whether right. that's even possible or not we'll find out probably well maybe not while we're still alive but I'm, I'm willing maybe to bet. i'm willing to bet in our lifetime we'd find out about it but david how did you feel going into this movie because there's conversations that we could have about the way this film was marketed. I know for me, all you need to tell me is Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Space Epic. And I'm in. Like, that's all I needed to know. But I would argue that the this is a very hard film to sell. And they sold this film on a lot of its action sequences. Uh, which we'll talk about more in spoilers. We'll get more in-depth in the spoilers and whatnot. But how did you feel? What did you feel about this movie coming into it what were you anticipating what were you expecting well like you said i think i went immediately to the actors 
involved, the people involved, and, yes. and was excited about that. There's not many Brad Pitt movies that I'm not in for, um, especially at this point in the career. I feel like, you know, a lot of the movies he does are, are ones that, that I would be excited about. Sure. That being said, I didn't have really a lot of expectations as far as what the story or how the movie would actually go. Uh, we're getting to that point in the year where you kind of expect it to be kind of like an Oscar type film. Right. Um, so I wasn't expecting some sci-fi action film. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Although this film was delayed quite a bit. There was, it, it was a Fox movie. Obviously Fox got bought and Disney distributed this movie, but it was famously delayed. I believe it was originally going to come out in, in spring. Uh, and I didn't pull up the, I didn't pull up the delays and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but I do remember it getting pushed back a little bit. They did some reshoots and things like that after test screenings and whatnot. But uh, yeah, supposedly it initially got kind of poor re- reviews back in April of 2017, right? Or, or not in April. Um, they shot in mid-August 2017, mm-hmm. lasted 60 days, and then somewhere between then and now, they did. Test screenings, in 2018, yeah. which led to reshoots uh, that they conducted. And inter- interestingly enough, originally it was January 11th, 2019 was the release date, release date, then May 24th. And then apparently they fixed whatever they needed to fix in the reshoots because this movie is fairly critically acclaimed right now. There are some people who are on the other side of the fence about it, but for the most part, Really, you know, well-received. What's really interesting is that the reshoots were done without Pitt. So I wonder what that was. Which fits in like 99% of this movie, I feel like. So it's like, did everybody else just really suck in their scenes or something? Because I don't know. I mean, granted, we're in the day and age where you don't need an actor to be alive even to be able to have them do scenes. Sure. But I don't think any of that was done in this film so I, be... I actually think that's a question I didn't originally have pegged for but now I want to I want to speculate on on what were the reshoots uh, in spoilers sure when we get to spoilers because I already have a nomination but I can't talk about <laughs> a nomination it. for something that you think should have been reshot or something that you that I think was okay that All I right. think okay. was I I you know, I was the same walking into this movie. I wasn't sure what to expect. Basically, I was expecting kind of something similar to Interstellar. Okay. Uh, where there was going to be action. Obviously, there's going to be action. There, there was like moon buggies like racing each other. There's some, there's some situations going to happen here. But at the same time, when you look at who's involved, particularly the two people, two main creative forces behind this movie, I wasn't expecting Armageddon by any, you know... By any stretch. And and I really want to talk about for a second both James Gray, writer-director James Gray, and Brad Pitt. Sure. Because they're very interesting. Obviously, and we'll, we'll talk about James Gray first because Brad Pitt very little needs to be talked about how much we enjoy his work. But James Gray has written and directed eight movies. That's his filmography. And most of them are crime dramas, a genre that you and I are fairly big fans of. My favorite movie, L.A. Confidential, is a crime drama, you know, or a noir, if you will. But they're not the same types of movies that we like. There's a difference in Gray's scripts and his films 
that I find really interesting. And just to throw out a couple of movies that he's done that are kind of within our wheelhouse here, he did both The Yards and We Own the Night with Mark Wahlberg and Joaquin Phoenix. He's worked with Joaquin Phoenix a ton. And then I think it was 2016, he did The Lost City of Z, which mm-hmm. was big time on our radar because it's an adventure jungle type of movie and it's got your boy in it, Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam, yep. And not only that, but it's got Robert Pattinson, it's got Tom Holland, and it's about basically the search for El Dorado, for lack of a, you know, getting into the descriptor of it. But every single one of those movies is way more introspective. It's way more contemplative. How do you feel about James Gray with that filmography and things like that? Did, did it help you set the expectation on there? And, and like, what makes Gray's movies so different? And you're not allowed to just say they're slow. Well, they're slower. <laughs> uh, what did I just tell you? Well, I think the thing with his movies are, like you said, they they go a lot more into kind of, I think, the ca- character development and some of the character struggles. Mm-hmm. And they focus in a lot on that. Like, the funny thing is, in a lot of his movies, there is low-hanging fruit if you want to do, like, a popcorn action movie. Like... His stories could easily be like one of those action yeah. dramas. Um, I think when I remember seeing, for instance, like uh, what was the other one that he did? Oh. He did. Let me pull up his film. He didn't do. He hasn't. Like he said. Like I said, he hasn't. Even, done even, a even if you go to We Own the Night, I mean, there's there's a lot of that that you kind of come in with certain expectations of of what that film is going to be. And it doesn't necessarily go that way. Like, and you could say like it would have been within the realm of what this story is covering to have a lot more action, have a lot more, you know, uh, shootouts and things like that in that film than what it chose to have. Um, Or in Lost City of Z, like you could have focused more on like the adventure aspect and Mm -hmm. go for like a light, you know, like Indiana Jones type of look for it. Right. Um, But he doesn't go that way. And that's that's what I find so interesting is that he he has these settings that in the hands of a different director make wildly different movies. You know, The Yards is about uh, these guys who get out of jail and they're working for a railroad contracting company. And it's all about the corruption and the bribery and the and that that life mm-hmm. of of feuding railroad companies in New York. We Own the Night is about a nightclub owner who's kind of in direct uh, conflict with the rest of his family, who's a family of cops. Mm-hmm. And then The Lost City of Z, as we already said, it's about one family man's journey to make this discovery. But he's not so much interested in the like if 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 Scorsese made this movie or Tarantino made this movie. Obviously, those guys have a much higher energy in the way that they direct. But those films would be way more focused on the task at hand. It would be more focused on the, you know, how does this job work and the rat a tat tat and the, you know, the 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 back and forth. And these movies are all about one of his biggest themes. I find are all about relationships and family. Particularly, We Own the Night and Lost City of Z and this movie about fathers and sons. And clearly he has a huge interest in, in, in exploring that dynamic and the strains between fathers and sons and the rifts between fathers and sons, but also the shared connections as well. 
I guess the thing I like the most is that there are still splashes of like really good action and violence. You know, there are some really, really good set pieces in Ad Astra. And there's some really interesting stuff in The Lost City of Z, but it's just a different vibe. Um, did you, and we'll get into non-spoilers and what we actually thought about that vibe, but I also wanted to talk about Brad Pitt. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it where anything Brad Pitt does we're going to be interested in from an acting standpoint, which is really interesting because, you know, thinking of his filmography, there's not too many truly bad movies on his list. There might be some ones that weren't as successful or there might be some ones that were a bit of misfires, you know. Ain't nobody really talking about seven years in Tibet all that much. Mm-hmm. But lately, the guy's been on fire. And so my question to you is, do you put Pitt on the same level as like a DiCaprio in terms of he's involved with something that's a must-see? And are we back in an era like of Pitt again? Like, would you say we're, we're at a... a, a a top of his prime era of Pitt right now. Yeah, well, I think the thing about Pitt, if you go through his movies, he has a lot of diversity, I feel like, in, in his movies. Maybe not necessarily always in his characters, which I do think he does. Sure. Um, but there's definitely a certain type of character that he plays a lot. But, I mean, you've seen him go to some of the you know more fun things like the Oceans movies, Mr. Right. and Mrs. Smith. Um, but then you've seen him do like a lot of the Oscar movies like Moneyball, 12 Years a Slave. Um, Which not for nothing, but he produces as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've seen later in his career. I mean, the guy still does on average like two movies a year. Like he went through a little slower time in 2017. He only did War Machine, which was the Netflix movie. Right. But... And in 2018, technically, his only movie was his cameo as Vanisher in Deadpool in 2. Deadpool. Um, but he produced a boatload of he movies. He produced a lot during that time. And now we're back to a year where he's got two movies. And he's supposed to, I think, after this, the ones that he's rumored to be in are, uh, they're doing another World War Z. Yep. And then uh, Babylon movie, which is, you know, I don't know. It's, it's rumored to be happening. It's... It sounds cool already without much information. It's Damien it. <laughs> uh, Chazelle or whatever that okay. did. Our boy from La La Land. Yep, from La La Land and Emma, and Emma Stone. So oh. it's rumored that those three names are a part of this Babylon movie, but there's literally nothing to, I'm interested. to tell you about. So with that being said, I think to answer your question, I think he is one of those people that you want to see, especially at this point in his career because you know he can be selective and he's not just – looking for a paycheck. Right. And I think actors and actresses age in different ways. Like you get some that as they get older, they don't care about the quality anymore. They'll just do whatever gets them a paycheck Say. because they've already chased after their Oscars and things like that, or they've already even won them some places. I would say look at not, not Samuel L. Morgan the, Freeman. Uh, I was going to say Pacino, uh, Bruce Willis, and John Bruce Travolta. Willis, John Travolta. They're just doing what the hell ever they want. Whatever they want. <laughs> uh, but then you also have some actors that, as they get older, they're more selective and they don't need to just do a movie. Like they can do things that they're passionate about. And right. I think that's where you see when actors. I feel like when you start seeing actors 
produce a lot of the movies that they're in and maybe that's in their contract language to get them on board is you have to give them a producer credit. I don't know who knows with Hollywood. Uh, but I think when actors do want that production input, usually it means that they're only going to pick things that they're passionate about. Sure. Like you probably don't want a production credit on something that you are going right. to be like, I'm phoning it in for this movie type right. of thing. Right. And there are a lot of smaller productions that they make where they're like, we're going to make this movie so we can make the next movie. Right. And Brad Pitt is clearly out of that category. Yeah. Like, that absolutely. dude doesn't need to make a movie to make another movie. No. He doesn't need a one for them, one for me anymore. And I think it, you see that even in him having a little bit of fun and doing something like the Deadpool role. Like, right. Literally showed up on a green screen set for one day. And yeah, probably probably one hour, yeah, like, like if that. <laughs> it's it's crazy, but you you know he also gets to um, not only put his name on these important projects and things that he's passionate about, but he also gets to put his star power behind them too. Like you look at DiCaprio. DiCaprio is not doing a ton of producing. He's a different type of movie star. Brad Pitt has helped shape what prestige films are for the past i don't know you know past however many years he's been doing this think back 10, through 10 20 years almost he's been producing and i know we're not trying to run away with this being just a brad pitt no but it's interesting because does this movie get made without brad pitt i don't think so maybe i mean you'd have to i think you have to have star power behind right the the title but or not the title character but with the, like hugh jackman Nobody's as interested in this, I don't think. Look at the fountain. It's basically. I mean, the it's, same I think movie. I think it's a Not different really. release. I mean, here's the question: What about Charlie Hunnam? Like I think this even role? less. Because World War Z, or I mean, Lost City of Z, mm -hmm. gets made with Charlie Hunnam in it, right? But I think the difference is, if you make Lost City of Z with Brad Pitt, it does well in the box office. Maybe not is a blockbuster. I'm not going to go that far because sure. I don't think that movie was the type of movie set up to be a blockbuster. Sure. And that movie, but it, yeah, that movie only cost $30 million. But if you make that movie with Brad Pitt, it probably makes $60 million in the box office. Right. Whereas with Hunnam, it made 19. Which Granted, is, they, they never really widely released it sure. either. So they were never really chasing it, the box office. But it, it makes a decent amount of money. And I think also some of that might go with if you're going to do a Brad Pitt movie, you have to widely release it. Like you're you're wasting the star power if you do a limited release that doesn't go everywhere. Sure. Like you have to release it internationally and things like right. that, which this movie made money internationally too. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, a movie like Lost City of Z, if you put Brad Pitt in there, maybe you have to expand it and do a little bit more marketing behind it because you're not going to waste having some of someone of his talent. Right. Same thing I think happens if you swap roles here and you have Charlie Hunnam be in Brad Pitt's role. Could it be a great movie still? Yes, but it's no longer going to be something that you see a commercial for, you know, every couple right. <laughs> commercial breaks. It's somebody You're, who you don't have Charlie Hunnam's face. Like at, Brad Pitt's face on Ad Astra is 70% of the poster. Yeah, and, and you might have it and you just don't see the poster everywhere. Right. Like, or, or does this movie get a $100 million budget with Charlie Hunnam? I don't think so. No, I mean, just like Lost City of Z only was made on $30, 30 million. million. This budget. probably gets made on 30 to $50 million. This movie made in its opening weekend what that movie made 
in, in its full run. Yeah, just domestically, too. Just domestically. Yeah. So there is definitely something there about the specter of Brad Pitt. Um, do you think, what is he, just to kind of wrap this up here, does, he's got this and he's got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Do you think he can pull off two nominations? And if so, do you, I think he's phenomenal in this movie. Yep. Like I could see the, the the best actor field is absolutely stacked. Does he squeak in, or does he get the supporting actor nomination for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And does he win either of those? See, here's the thing: is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they have the flexibility. Even though one could argue he's in a lead role in that movie, even though it's like one A one B with lead, yeah, with Leo. But you have the flexibility. To say he's supporting to Leo. Right. And you could get away with that. His character quite literally is supporting. Exactly. But one could argue that he should be in lead character. Sure. But in this movie, you can't get like there's no pushing him to the supporting role in this movie. This movie is Brad Pitt. No, it is all him and all other supporting roles are minor. That's where I think and this is based off of what we've seen and we haven't seen a whole lot. We know what's coming out, but we don't know how well it's going to be received. I mean, last year was a great example. Some films look like they're Oscar right. movies right out the gate, and that, yep, that's going to get all the nominations, that kind of thing. Right. And then and they, then they trickle out. Yeah. So I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is more likely okay. um, because it feels a little bit more like the Hollywood movie. It's more memorable. It made more money. It's more it's memorable. Flashier, it's, yeah. It celebrates Hollywood. Yeah. And and I think the supporting role might be a little bit weaker this year than than the lead role. It just depends on. I think you're right. How things shake out. But I could see it being weaker than the lead role. So that's why I think he's more likely to get nominated for that one. Whereas lead role, it could turn into a numbers game where he. Right misses out even though he did a great job it'd be nice kind to of see like nominated. gosling last year uh, yep exactly. in first man i Where mean we he talk got... about this on our oscar primers all the time which are going to be coming up if you're a patron of the uh of the popcorn diet on patreon we're going to start rolling out oscar primers as we get deeper into the season but you're right he didn't so much you know he his gosling's performance was really really good and mm-hmm. it's he didn't get in not because it was good he didn't get in because Everybody was better. Sure, like it's it's tough. I hope he gets. I hope he gets nominated. Maybe not for this, but I hope he gets nominated for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So let's talk about the movie. Non spoilers. Now that we've talked about James Graham, Brad, Brad Pitt, and all that, David, I was, I was fascinated by the fact that this is basically a hundred million dollar study on like fathers and sons, masculinity, faith. Success versus failure, you know, the, you know, bravery. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of subtext and there's a lot of themes and thematic stuff on on display here, and I found it to be and it's a really poor descriptor to use in my opinion. <laughs> I don't like using the word slow because I think that implies bad. Personally speaking, I don't know that everybody else does. I don't even know that you do. I might use the word deliberate. It's very deliberate. It's very introspective. There's a lot of parts of this movie where it's Brad Pitt in space by himself. 
um, delivering a monologue or talking about his inner thoughts and whatever. And I I really liked this movie, which may, may not come as a shock to you. I love First Man. First Man was one of my favorite movies last year. And this movie is the same thing where it takes this epic scope, this epic journey, and uses it to tell a very intimate story. Sure. And I'm all about it. I'm into it. Especially because there is enough, um, almost deliberately, and again, we'll talk about this in non-spoilers, but the set pieces, the big action moments are set almost perfectly to kind of space that out a little bit. Except it kind of, it kind of, at the end, it's it's kind of, there's not a lot of action near the end. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I really liked this movie straight up. Uh, I thought it's one of the most visually amazing movies of the year. I think it's the amazing depiction of space. Yeah. And a future where we can take a Virgin Atlantic uh, spaceship to the moon. And get Subway on the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was into all of it, man. I was into all of it. I walked out not like blown away, but like just kind of like in awe. Yeah. Like with gravity, I walked out sweaty. Like I was, I had an emotional reaction to this. To this one, my brain was firing. I was thinking. I was, man, that's really interesting. I, I want to learn more. I want to learn more about what people think about this movie and how they're taking it and whatnot. <laughs> Um, how about you? You know, walking out of the movie non-spoilers, what did you think about it? I think, and, and maybe it's too easy of a comparison, but I think I viewed this or reacted to this in a similar way I did to Lost City of Z. Okay. You know, I was excited about it because of the acting behind it again, because I'm a Charlie Hunnam fan. Um, but like this, I was excited because it's Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Donald Sutherland. Sure. People that I'm big fans of or a big fan of. Big Sutherland fans here. That, yeah. that family is good friends of the podcast. They're Ab- welcome here anytime. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was excited around that. But at the same time, like it was hard to have certain expectations. And I didn't, you know, it's not like First Man where we know we know the story. This is this is completely fiction. And so we don't know where this is going to go. And for those of us that don't read spoilers, I had no clue what was going to happen in this story. Kind of got a general gist early on that Mm -hmm. this was going to be, you know, going out to find his father type of thing, but you don't really know where that's going to lead when you deal with something in space. And so similar with Lost City of Z, even though that one was actually based on a true story, I didn't read up on the story to actually write find out what happens or how everything goes. And so you're very much engaged into, and this is probably something about James Gray in general is you're very engaged into what happens in this story, like Mm -hmm. trying to see like, is he going to make it? Is he going to find him? Is he, you know, what's the result of this movie going to be like you are with most movies. But then there's that deeper level too, where like it becomes less about that and more about like, watching this character develop and like, learn they things grow as and a person do they find what what they are clearly seeking metaphorically on top of their actual goal yeah you know like lost city of z not only is he searching for the lost city of z but he's searching for meaning he's searching for um not acceptance that's not the right word but he's searching for um Oh man, I can't believe I'm blanking on this word. So, but basically, an acceptance, like a 
uh, a satisfaction. Of, sure. I, 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 I did this. I was right. I was determined. And Brad Pitt, very similarly in this movie, is determined and and things like that. And I, I love that this movie is framed very much like a traditional hero's journey. Like the logline for the film is, you know, Earth is being hit by these damaging, you know, waves of energy mm-hmm. and potentially catastrophic. And Brad Pitt has to go into deep space to find his father who was a project leader on a project that could be causing those waves. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that's a, that could be a Michael Bay movie. That movie could be 50 different types of Absolutely. Movie. And I love that it still hits those beats, but it's also very much about Brad Pitt's human connections, his human connections with his family, his human connections with those around him, his own father, his wife. Those types of things and, and putting the job in front of those things. and it, There's so many layers to this that are, are infinitely more satisfying than if this movie ended with like a laser fight. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think at the end of this, the thing is too, at the end of this movie, you feel like you have a really good understanding of his character and who he is. <laughs> what his motivations are, what his personality is. Right. And likes, how that's going to change. Likes, dislikes, all that kind of stuff. Like you feel like you have, like you know this person. Like it's, it doesn't feel like you've only known this person for two hours right. type of thing. Exactly. And, and so I think that's obviously a huge accomplishment. But like you said, I think the visuals are fantastic. Just incredible special effects. I, I think the thing about this movie that I really enjoyed was and and I even thought as I left this movie about this a little bit, I would love to see like for a fresh approach on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I know we went back to like Kirk and like early days and that yeah. kind of stuff, but you're pretty far advanced where it's like, this is outside of the realm of like what we can even imagine. Like sure. this isn't like a cup, you know, 50 to a hundred years away. This is like hundreds of, hundreds years, of years away. away. Whereas like this felt literally like, because like when you're inside the ship, and, the, and this isn't really getting into spoilers, when you're inside of a, a ship and you're traveling to space, like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like like people are still floating to get around. Right. It and feels the, very realistic. Like there's no like gravity. There's no like machine that cooks you dinner, like any of that kind of stuff. Right. Like when you get onto the moon, like it feels like some place that you would see on Earth the to some point. The production design like, is incredible in this movie. As you said, it marries science fiction with where we are now in an incredibly believable way. Yeah. Even more so than like a Minority Report. Minority Report is famous for hiring futurists to come in and help guide the production design. What's this going to be like? What's that going to be like? This movie feels like it's it, it's never stated what year it is. It just says in the near future. Yeah. It feels like it could honestly be 10 years from now. Sure. You know, it, the spacesuits look the same. The inside of the spaceships look look the same. They 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 haven't done anything new or crazy to make it seem like the future. Yep. And that just makes it that much more interesting to watch because it feels livable. You want to go live in this world because it's so close. Mm-hmm. And to your point, it'd be interesting to see a Star Trek movie that was set like right after First Contact, like after Zephyr Cochran did his yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Where it's it's a little spit Star Trek, and because they're doing Discovery now, and they're mm-hmm. always doing prequels and things like that. But I don't know, and and I'm not as big of a Star Trek guy as you are. I don't know that they had ever done a project where it's literally the beginning of the Federation, 
or just before the beginning of the Federation. Yeah. Or even or even before first contact, because clearly space travel has had evolved yeah. to where first contact was. Anyway, this type of realism in these science fiction movies that just it's just a little bit fiction. Yeah. Is fantastic. It's really, really powerful. Um, I mean, there there are other things too that I wanted to mention. The score, Max Richter does a score that's really, really great. It's not bombastic. It's not as stressful as um, the score from First Man, the 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 famously unnominated score for First Man. Like I still am shocked that that got snubbed. But I really liked what was happening here as well. And then the performances, David, everybody in this movie is a genuine supporting character in that they are in max two three scenes yeah. whereas everybody else is is in everything else but everybody is great did you have anybody who's particularly your favorite obviously i think it'd be donald sutherland my guy's tommy lee jones like i love that they got old ass tommy lee jones in this movie um uh, but there's like Liv tyler Liv tyler's in this movie oddly enough she has maybe two lines in the whole movie yeah Ruth Nega's in this movie, and she only has a couple of scenes, and she's an, an, an award-nominated actress, you know, across multiple, uh, you know, award academies, if you will, mm -hmm. whether it be Emmys or, or Golden Globes or whatever. So did, did you feel the same way? Did you find that? I, I think it all helped build the world. Yeah, I think, you know, I think with all of them, they're all going to come up secondary because there's so much focus on obviously Brad Pitt. But with that being said, I think Sutherland and Tommy Lee are obviously the ones that stick out. I think Tommy Lee plays his role really well. And obviously he's kind of what we're building up to since he's Brad Pitt's father. Mm -hmm. Whereas Donald Southern is more of something that kind of gets it off and rolling like and, and adds some mystery to the story and right. that kind of stuff. Right. And so I think for me, I, I walked away remembering Tommy Lee a little bit better, but I think all the, all the little appearances that we had from people were solid and helped kind of push this along. But this movie's all about Brad Pitt. Oh yeah. It's, it's some of his, some of his best work. Cause a lot of it, like a lot of it, you don't even realize he's acting like a lot. Of it's it not a role feels... that has a lot of forgiveness. Like no. if, if you aren't 100% in on every single piece, like it would have been very noticeable in this. Definitely. Film. There, there's a moment where he's watching something and his eye is twitching. And I was his just, and I, I was, I'm like, that's crazy mm -hmm. that he like can get that emotion in such a small part of his body. I was just like, it's phenomenal. It's just great work. You know, shout out also to two of the four space cowboys being in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't give, couldn't find room for Clint Eastwood or James Garner. <laughs> I know, I know, and they were both like, you know, supposed to be like early on space explorers too. So right. I was a big fan of that. I, I do love how each character, and and we'll, we'll we'll break for spoilers in just a second, but I I did I do love the storytelling aspect of how it is this introspective movie that follows all the beats of a hero's journey. I know I mentioned that before. But, you know, he's, he's uh, presented with a task by the higher-ups, you know, just like, just like Clash of the Titans, you know, you got to go get this thing. You got to go travel to get this thing. Stop this guy, get this thing, whatever. And then he's aided along the way. He's aided by Donald Sutherland. He's aided by, you know, the general that doesn't make it. He comes across this crew 
there's this one there's pit stops along the way he has allies and enemies and it really is a space epic in that in that way i i love the structure of this movie because it's very very familiar whilst at the same time as we have discussed in length here being a lot more about just getting to the thing finding the guy stopping the disaster um i think that about brings us to the popcorn rating what's that noise popcorn you're making popcorn uh-huh i only eat popcorn at the moment now if you've never listened to an episode of the popcorn diet we do our ratings a little bit differently instead of a number of popcorns we have different categories of popcorn to kind of establish where this movie falls in in the pantheon of popcorn diet movies and we have five different categories of popcorn we have burnt popcorn which means a movie is garbage don't waste your time your money on it even if it's free uh, we have stale popcorn, which is, it's not great, but if you want to watch it for free, I guess it's better than nothing. We have microwave popcorn, which is okay. It, it's pretty okay. It's somewhere in the middle. Much like microwave popcorn, your mileage may vary. It could be pretty good. It could be disappointing, just like microwave popcorn. We also have movie theater popcorn, which means you should probably go see this you know, on a big screen. You should go see this in the movie theater. It is good enough. It is... Uh, definitely worth your time and uh, the price of a ticket. And then, of course, we have perfect popcorn, which means go out and see this movie as soon as humanly possible on the biggest screen you can. For me, I give this movie perfect popcorn. I loved everything about this movie, even though it is more introspective. I do think that's a lot more about expectation than um, what the movie actually is as well. Uh, I really liked the action beats. I loved all the character work. I think Brad Pitt's phenomenal in it. James Gray is one of those guys who, when I hear his name attached to something, I'm going to be interested. And this is great, too. This falls perfectly in line with a current kind of stream of science fiction or, or kind of space movies that are way more introspective and it goes all the way back to 2001 a space odyssey but also you got movies like solaris both the old one and the new one with clooney you got gravity which was still plenty intense but was a lot about one person's personal journey interstellar arrival first man and now you have ad astra so it's perfect popcorn for me david what do you give it as a popcorn rating it's not quite perfect for me, but it's it's pretty darn close. So sure. I'm I'm gonna go movie theater popcorn, and I'm gonna throw a soda in throw there. Throw a soda so in there. It's, if it's if it's somewhere in the middle, we always throw a soda in. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I enjoyed it a lot. It's one that I'll want to come back to at some point. I'm not like I gotta go see that in the theaters again. Sure. Type of reaction, but it's one of those where I'd like to. Whether it's back in the theaters or whether it's, you know, when it comes out and is available for streaming, I'd love to check it out just because I feel like there's probably something left there for me to observe or take in or things like that. Um, not because this has so much going on. Like, it's not one of those films, not like Avengers Endgame, where, like, right. there's so much going on that, like, you got to watch it multiple times because you probably missed something. Right. It's more of, like, I want to go back through this story again and, and kind of. It's like reading a book again. Yeah, exactly. Like a really good book that, yes, you remember like mm -hmm. from start to finish, but like you want to read again because you enjoyed the journey that it took you on. And so, um, yeah, I, I loved it. Excellent. Well, before we get into spoilers, we got to take a little break. 
Hey, good movie buddies. Before we continue on, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. We really appreciate you just taking a second to hit that button, give us a rating, give us a review, and share The Popcorn Diet with any and all of your good movie buddies. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. You know, this, this is a hobby for us, although we love it very much and we want to be able to spend more time putting out more podcasts talking about movies as much as possible and we can only do that if we get patrons if you like the podcast consider giving a dollar a couple bucks to help me improve the podcast not only is it going to do that but it's also going to get you access to exclusive patron only episodes of some of our smaller series such as franchise refills Perfect Popcorn, and our Oscar primers. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And then last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But now it's time to get into the spoilers a little bit. And this is one, David, where... You know, we've already been going for a decent amount of time. I don't want to necessarily get into the spoilers of like the subtext and talk about the movie and things like that. But I did have a couple here. Uh, First and foremost, as we mentioned in the non-spoilers, this movie is pocketed with kind of bursts of action. And I think that this movie uses that action really well. And so I have a list of sort of the action sequences, and I wanted to know what your favorite was. Okay. So I'll list them off here. Also, let me know if I forget anything. There's not many. No. They're pretty much, they're pretty individualized. You know, they're pretty mm-hmm. well separated from one another. But we have the, the opening sequence of the antenna free fall, where mm-hmm. the, the surge happens and yep. it falls back through the atmosphere. Incredible. Like, really, really great sequence. We have the Space Monkeys, mm-hmm. which is very much a hero's journey thing where it's like, okay, we're going to get sidetracked for one second and we got to fight a little sub boss. And when they go on, they, they get this uh, distress signal, they go on this research vessel and they find uh, baboons that were brought for scientific research that have are crazy killer baboons. That whole sequence is wild and really unexpected. You got the the moon. Oh, what else we got? Oh, I was gonna say I'll take I'll take that a little bit further from the standpoint of like you feel like you always have that scene where it's like because when they when they go to the little station that's Mm -hmm. floating there that's not responding that has a distress signal. Brad Pitt's like, we gotta no, we gotta go. Like we don't we don't have time for this, and they're like, we don't have a choice. Like the rules are that you stop for this, which. There's a lot of that throughout the film where it's like these little pieces that give you these nuggets of like what this world is in. But I think because everything is so like realistic to something that's not that big of a leap from where we are today. Right. Like you can accept it a little bit easier and like you feel like you get to know the world even more like versus like something that's like way out distance future. Like you're a little bit more guarded to like these random rules and things like that. Like I have a machine gun on an asteroid. Exactly. Eh, So a little much there. And well, kind of going into that, building the world is the next one, which is one of my favorite ones. And that's the moon pirates. Yeah. Moon pirates, probably one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie. 
the moon is established as being without boundaries, without borders. And if you yep. stay within civilization, you'll probably be okay. But if you step outside there, there are all these factions that are fighting for their resources. Yeah, which which led me to curiosity. Like, okay, I don't know. Like, I love the concept, but I'm trying to think about like the execution of this. Like, because you can't just like hide in a cave somewhere. Like, right. you would have had to like built up a place to stay uh-huh. out on the moon. And so, I guess the moon is pretty large, obviously, so you could hide anywhere, type of thing. But like, it seems like everybody's pretty much in one big station on the moon. Sure. And then everything else is just kind of desolate in yeah. that. Although we saw some like solar panels and things like that sure. there. So I was just a little interested. Like, are these like, like, what do we mean by rival factions? Is it like our version of like pirates and mm-hmm. criminals, like, and those types of people? But like, then I go to like, well, how'd they get up to the moon? And right. like, I, I guess you can take commuter yeah. trips up to you there just, and all that kind of stuff. But it, it was interesting to kind of think about. It was one of those things that like I didn't necessarily need to know right. like more background on it. But like, obviously, if you dug into it more, you'd probably have a lot more questions. There's, there's parts of this movie that you could split like space, like moon pirates. What? Yeah. OK. Um, like maybe it was them. Maybe they hijacked a research station. And maybe the whole reason that they're pirating and pillaging, maybe their biggest commodity is oxygen. Could be. You know, that's because they don't give a shit about gold. Like, they don't care sure. about, you know, the normal plunder, but they care about space suits. They care about oxygen and power. That's the commodity, you know? Mm-hmm. that's I'd watch a whole movie just about moon pirates. There you go. <laughs> um, so we have that one. We have the, uh, what I call the Mars Swim and Stowaway which is where Brad Pitt is kind of like, okay, you're off mission now. You're clearly emotionally distressed. You can't come. And he gets dropped off to an underground lake, has to swim through the lake to get to the launch pad of this rocket ship and then stow away in the rocket ship. And I found that whole scene, that might have been the most intense sequence of the movie. Like I found that one with the with the visuals and the oranges and just like like I knew he's gonna make it, but sure. they really ratchet up the tension on if he's gonna make it. But I think the reason why that whole scene is is really intense is because it leads directly into, I think, which is the next kind of action right. scene, could which be is more, the zero same to same. G fight where you know, he stows away on the ship. They know automatically because of the alarm because mm-hmm. he opened it while they're flying, which would come up, you know, on sensors if you were flying up uh-huh. and taking off. But you go immediately into that. So you have this drama of getting on and getting in. Right. Which they don't drag out too long. Like they could have made that. And that's that's one of the things that I think is cool about this film is you could have easily made a Gravity-esque film right. and made the focus the oh am i gonna make it like right and like the drama of like even like when they're in that pirate chase like when he gets hit and he says i got a leak he like takes care of it you could have made that seem like oh crap he's about to die type of thing right like we got like in every little thing in gravity but mm-hmm. it was more of like this is something that we cope with this is something that happens it's a problem to be solved even echoed to brad pitt's character in this which is someone who's his heart rate stays down. He exactly. knows how to deal with these types of things. That's why he's as good at his job as he is. Right. Because he's able to handle the stress of space, 
which we've seen from every other movie that's taken place in something like this. He's managed to compartmentalize his emotion. Exactly. Which is a whole other conversation about how that's what this movie's about, you know, in my opinion. It's it's about how you you shouldn't have to do that or you don't have to do that. And that's the whole thing that he learns is Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go back home and I'm gonna reconnect, you know, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So all right, so we have the 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 Marstoway zero G fight. The other thing I wanted to mention was how much, again, going back to the hero's journey, how much I appreciated like this crew that he was stuck with for the middle part of his journey, right? And how it had this captain who's like, we have to follow the rules. And the captain seemed to, you know, have his act together. But then you get kind of the, the co-cap, co-pilot who's kind of shitty. And you have, you know, the crew and whatever. And I could easily take that concept and transport it to like, okay, they're on a ship. And they're sailing and they see a distress signal. And Odysseus says, no, we have to we have to continue on. But the crew's like, it's maritime law. Or put them on a train or put them on a caravan or whatever. Like I love how they transposed the the pieces of a hero's journey into this kind of space epic. That's I I can't I cannot say enough how much I like that. <laughs> but we have two more. And the first one is uh, Surfing the Space Rocks which is where he takes a panel of his dad's ship once he once he goes through that. I, I didn't talk about the whole dad Skywalk thing either, which was its own emotional, mm-hmm. you know, um, tra- trauma, I guess. But he basically holds this panel up and flies through the ring of Neptune. He uses the gravity of the thing to launch himself out mm-hmm. or the centrifugal force of, his, of, of this, this spinning barometer. I don't know what to call it. To launch himself back to his ship because he couldn't get there because his original smaller ship like crashed and mm-hmm. and I was just basically that's some gravity stuff right there. Sure. And then lastly is when he rides the nuke. Basically uses the nuke as uh, basically pulls Star Trek. Yeah. Which is where they eject the 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 warp core into the black hole and ride the explosion. Shoot it, shoot it and then uh, yeah, ride uh-huh. the propulsion. And that's what he does here, where he rides the nuclear explosion as the main um, <laughs> the main propellant sure. of his ship to get back to Earth. Uh, what would you say is your favorite out of all of those? Because they're all pretty damn good. Oh man, it's tough. I know. I think. I think the most unexpected to me was the space monkeys. Yes. I think that was one of the most memorable scenes, not because it's impact in like the rest of the movie or anything like that, but it took you from like, I guess expectations that you had maybe from watching the trailer, you saw kind of like the buggies racing, even though you may not have known that was going to deal with pirates. Right. Um, you know, the zero G fight was 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 pretty cool as well. And, and just everything that led into that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. But the space monkeys like I had to think back. I was like, I guess they did say that this was like a animal research. It was a station. research vessel. I mean, that's the best part is there's like there is logic to track why there would be two crazy baboons on this spaceship. Yeah. Like we've been sending up animals into space forever. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's logic there. They're not just random baboons. There's 
historical logic. Sure. I love that. And it'd be the same as if in a hero's journey, they're like, we have to help this vessel. And suddenly it's like, you know, evil mermaids or something. Sure. It's like, oh, sure. well, we got to fight this thing for a second. But that's that's definitely for me the most memorable of the scenes. Like just because it was so unexpected. Like, right. yes, I, I, I remember after the fact hearing, but they do it kind of in pa- passing. They're not like, oh, this is a animal one. They got a bunch of monkeys on this no. board. You know, like it's just more in passing like what satellite oh it's a research facility you know animal research facility they or have something a like that entry code like there's yeah. a universe going back to the world being built like there's yeah. a universal rescue code yeah yeah entering in the forced entry code like that it's it's really great yeah it's really great i think my favorite one man it's really tough space monkeys is so good moon pirates is so good but i do love the intensity of him swimming through that lake trying to stow away on board the whole talk like i'm not your enemy and you could see that very same thing happen in like an odysseus journey where oh the crew you know is is against him because they're they're following a higher power you know great great stuff um i want to go over any other any other likes or dislikes that you had about the movie i think my only my only major dislike is that the entire Max Richter score is not currently available. There's only <laughs> one song called To the Stars, and it's it's just really great in terms of a soothing. It's it's very uh, it's very relaxing in my opinion, and it's one of those scores that you can play at night and just chill out to, and it's very good. I really like Max Richter as a composer. But what about you? Did you have any particular likes or dislikes? I do have one more question before we wrap it up, though. Oh man, likes I just liked where they took his character and how they you know, there's some films where you know, it tackles topics like this and it's very in your face about it, you right. know. I think the cool thing that James Gray seems to be able to accomplish in his films is he takes a big journey like Lost City of Z is a big journey. Like there's yeah. a lot that goes on, a lot of places he goes, a lot of years to cover in this in this journey in this like this wouldn't have happened over a couple of days like this happens over months if not a year or so yeah and you have a lot to accomplish as far as like physically going places and doing things and meeting people and all that there's a lot to accomplish and there's a lot of story right there and so I think it's easy for you to get caught up in like what's happening and where they're going and what they're trying to accomplish. Right. But he has such a good way of almost like subtly like hitting home these very like deep, you know, big topics yeah. that you you mentioned earlier in the podcast, whether it be like masculinity and, you know, relationships of fathers and sons mm-hmm. and things like that. And even just the whole topic of like, you know, I've got a job. I've got to compartmentalize. You know, I can't show emotion, all those types of things. And and just seeing him grow through that and then, you know, seeing the effect it even has on his life and that. And but it never feels like this is in my face, like it's preaching to me, like all that kind of stuff. There's a way to make it a very engaging movie while still really hitting home and making you walk away from it being like, 
Okay. Right. I get it. It's yeah. like you look like it's so good. Like I think one of my favorite themes of this movie is about how it's 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 tied into bravery. And, and his ability to compartmentalize emotion and oftentimes the way that that is demonized, particularly in men. You know, I mean, they mm-hmm. do it in the movie where it's like you're, com- you're emotionally compromised. We're pulling you off the project. You yeah. know, clearly, society and service are, are dictated in this, in this future by those things. But he gets to – when he finds his dad, the whole purpose of the project his dad was on was to – go out into deep space to send out a signal further to find intelligent life. Mm-hmm. And he's been gone for 17 years, 16, 17 years, something like that. And he's been thought dead. And when Brad Pitt gets there, not only is Tommy Lee Jones not dead, but it's discovered essentially that there's nothing out there. You know, I haven't found anything. I haven't found a shred of anything. And to Tommy Lee Jones... That to him, the project is never over. The project isn't over until I find intelligent life. And Brad Pitt tells him how, no, you, you succeeded. You, you answered the question. And it's so good how Tommy Lee Jones says, like, I never once considered going back home. I never once thought about you or your mother. I was only focused on the job. And Brad Pitt realizes that we are alone. You know, and to take that, accept it, and then turn back and focus on the things that matter in your life that are there now. And mm-hmm. there are so many times I'm guilty of it. I'm sure we are all guilty of it, where we become so focused on a goal that we forget about what is there, what is around us currently, family, friends, whatever. And I found myself questioning that sometimes as well. And and I love how that all comes back and how it, it comes back to where he's going to – he vows to go back and, and cherish those things that are in his life. I mean, heck, even the end when the hand reaches in to pull him out of the pod is a direct mirror of when he reaches to his dad and his dad recoils, mm-hmm. right? He reaches out to his dad. His dad pulls back. I don't want you to pull me out. But Brad Pitt embraces the guy, you know? It's so good. Uh, last question before we wrap it up, David, and that is what were the reshoots? I have my thought, and I believe it's the space monkey scene. I could see the space monkey scene being part of it. I think that, and I'd have to see it again. I don't remember if Pitt spends most of that sequence with his visor down or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I could very easily see how the reactions or the, 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 the feedback is, oh, this movie's too boring or there's not enough action between here and there. Because really it's... The intent of free fall and then like 45 minutes or 40 minutes until you get to Space Pirates. Mm-hmm. Like it needed another, we need another action beat. We need something to liven it up. And that's something that you could shoot because the monkeys are CG. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of dead bodies. Get some stunt people or some dummies. And then you have a stunt guy with a visor on. That's Brad Pitt. And you have him record audio. Yeah. And again, I don't remember if his visor's down. Maybe if his visor's not down, maybe it, I'm, I'm off base. But that's my call. Do you, do you think there could be anything else? I think it's an action sequence. Like, I don't think you reshoot maybe a monologue. Maybe you adjust the monologue to make it a little bit more clear. But to me, it's like you don't need to shoot the moon pirate. Maybe it's the moon pirate scene. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be. Because this visor is definitely I, down for that. Yes. I think it has to be. A scene in space where the visor's down because we know Pitt wasn't in it. Um, I could also see it maybe being um, 
the scene with his his dad with Tommy Lee when they do the kind of walk outside the station and that mm-hmm. um, there might have been some interaction and things a way a different way that they part you sure. know it, it could have ended maybe a different way because that would be something that like I could see because the thing with space monkeys like I get what you're saying like it would be really slow starting after the the and drop off the of the, drop, yeah. the antenna to when you get your next piece of action. Um, but I could also see it being because that's such a pivotal point in like how he departs and right. and ties in with the story, like even how the interaction goes and that kind of stuff. I could see that also being something that, you know, again, I don't have a theory on, on but maybe they parted on different ways. Maybe he. No, that's a good point. Maybe he, maybe, he, maybe he, I don't know. Maybe the Tommy Lee does something to like damage Brad Pitt to where he has to go or maybe Brad Pitt is more aggressive in like getting rid of him right. or something like that. Little like, Armageddon. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was something too, but yeah, it, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's not very many times where you have something get pushed back as well as you have the feedback that it was poorly received and then it ends up coming out and it's so well received and something that we're even talking about potentially being in the conversation for Oscars like that's not usually how this goes no. you don't usually get a movie that moves from January of one year to all the way to September late September of a year with reshoots in the middle there that ends up <laughs> right being a positive thing at the end of all of it and being something that does very well so that's that's why it would be super interesting to know what was reshot and what took this um, to that place. The other thing is, is because it's rumored that the budget went from 80 million to 100 million, that also kind of confirms to me that it had to have been a space shot because sure. you're going to need CGI, you're going to need a lot of things that cost big dollars. Like if it was just shot at one of the places like on the moon or on Mars or something like that, or even in one of right. the sh- inside of the ship. That's not very expensive. Like the monkey scene could work because CGI monkeys that look realistic. It's like one hallway you build is expensive. Uh, it's expensive. CGI monkeys are expensive. Um, <laughs> it's are they more expensive than Brad Pitt shooting for a week though? I don't know. I don't know. Well, he didn't shoot for a week, so and we went up twenty million in it, so it's got to be something. Yeah. So that's why I thought maybe it's one of the things that's actually in space because that's not as easy to pull off as like a fight in a hallway. Uh, with monkeys yeah i mean but, and movies always go through reshoots too i don't know either one last fun fact we talked about space cowboys right it's it, we had Tommy lee jones we had donald sutherland lauren dean who is the dipshit young space you know spaceman what do you want my astronaut cheese uh in space cowboys is the crappy co-pilot in this movie. <laughs> so this is genuinely like... All these tie-overs to space. This is a Secret Space Cowboys sequel, I think. I think Tommy Lee Jones plays the same character. I'm willing to bet they even pulled like old astronaut photos of him in his orange jumpsuit from that movie. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, I, I love this movie. I, I was not disappointed, even though it definitely wasn't 
the type of movie that I was maybe anticipating. I was happy with the movie I got. So that is going to do it for this episode. Before we go, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet for free just by hitting the subscribe button, following wherever you're listening from. Take a few minutes. Write us a rating. Write us a review. Share The Popcorn Diet. Uh, All it takes is a couple seconds. Don't forget... Hit us up on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Throw a few bucks in the in the direction of the podcast. And, and not only are we going to be able to improve and, and be able to, to make this better, but also it's going to get you access to specific patron-only episodes of Franchise Refills, Perfect Popcorn, and our Oscar Primers. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram at the Popcorn Diet, and of course, you can find all of our last, our latest regular episodes, all of our articles, reviews, predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and we will see you next time with another good movie on a Popcorn Diet. Adios.